Okay, we are. Um, yeah, yeah, we're real live. Six seconds in. Here we oh, are. Hold on, sorry, I got an Is issue. It Tuesday? I got an issue. Tuesday? Sorry. Yeah, right. we're trying here. Uh, I'm sorry, it's having an issue. Right. What's wrong with it? It looks good. I don't know. Uh, it's not all um, going live. Only that's weird. I just got a notification from YouTube that we went live. Yeah, I know, but there's another stream. One second. Anyway, okay, we'll get that going in just a second. Right, what's up, guys? John Sintes, sorry for the little delay, 30-some-odd second there. <laughs> Cutter Nation podcast number 80, the streak continues. I'm excited, pushing for 100. I think we've got, like, another 10 guys scheduled, so that's exciting. Uh, that'll, that'll push us for a little bit further, but... First of all, don't forget, please rate and review and subscribe. Mash that like button. It really helps us on the YouTube algorithm as well as get our podcast out wherever. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can find us pretty much anywhere you need us to uh, get the information. We also have an online store with hats. We've got about six different colors of hats. You can go ahead and check that. Um, but without further ado, Mike Kwasnicka. Did I get it right? Well done. Right? Oh, First try. Right, appreciate it. North Star Baseball. North Star Baseball. Uh, Mike, uh, Minnesota guy. Um, why don't you introduce uh, everybody, uh, that we're, especially the reason we're here in San Diego, uh, who you are, uh, what North Star Baseball is, and, and um, what you're all about. For sure. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, I'm a Minnesota guy. I grew up in Lakeville, Minnesota, just south of the Twin Cities. Currently, North Star Baseball Club is obviously a really big part of what I do myself. And uh, Ty McDevitt, the current Minnesota Gopher pitching coach, uh, started it the year after he was done in college at the U, uh, which is the University of Minnesota for people outside of Miami-Dade County and the Twin Cities, or the real U, the Gophers, not the Hurricanes. Um, <laughs> the year I got done with uh, Pro Bowl and the year he was done with college, we started a club. Um, and yeah, so I, I run that now with another guy, Alec Crawford, uh, another ex-Gopher, ex um Des Moines area community college guy, all American. And he was um, also had a couple stints in pro ball. So we're, uh, we'll probably get into quite a bit of what North star is, but at, at the same time, I also am the head coach at Creighton Durham hall high school um, where Joe Maurer, uh, Jack Hanahan, Winky, Paul Molitor, quite a few big names. It's a big Catholic uh, private school in the, uh, in the area in St. Paul. Located um, right next to the nook. More right famous than Creighton Hall, the Nook. Yep, right next to the Nook. Uh, and, yeah, so if you are a right-handed hitter with any kind of juice, you might be able to put one on the front step of the Nook. Actually, it's not exactly um, a graveyard, uh, a little bit deep to center, but the corners are pretty tight. So, yeah. yeah so One of the best burger places in the Twin Cities for all of you sure. non-Minnesota people. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Super biased, but it's really, really good. I uh, I don't know if it's as good as In-N-Out Burger, but it's a different feel, I guess. Dude, I'll I'll say this because so I just found this out last night, and, and so Creighton Hall is like unbelievable amount of history, right? I mean, you just talked about those players, but like the campus is unbelievably gorgeous. That part of town is so cool. Um, it's just like it's such a unique unique place. Um, always always really impressed and fascinated with it. Not just baseball. Um, so a lot no, right? No, that exactly. Like the neighborhood, the community, the whole entire um, alumni. Like it, it's on a different level. So yeah. I can't Go imagine what here. it costs to go there either. 
Yeah, it's not as bad. <laughs> SPA, right? St. Uh, and St. Thomas Academy, they're the they're the expensive ones. But no, it's still a private school. But um, I think it has a little bit more of like a blue collar private school, and that sounds like an oxymoron. But um, you know, I, I through my dad too. Even he's known quite a few St. Paul guys that are his generation as well, and it really does feel like that. And they call it like St. Small, um, and it's kind of just uh, take care of your own. You know, blood runs really deep, super Irish, super Irish Catholic. So um, it's a really cool environment. And I, unfortunately, obviously, this is the year that I got the job, which it never even got off the ground. I don't know how everything has developed out there with you guys. It's hard to keep tabs on the craziness. Um, but, we, you know, we had a, about a week or two of, of simple practices and we didn't get we didn't even hand out jerseys before the rug got pulled out from underneath us. So. Uh, moving forward, obviously, trying to get something accomplished in the summer, but I guess next year will be um, kind of the, the first inaugural year that, in my eyes, anyways. So hopefully, hopefully we're all good for that. So, but per, from, on a personal side, just to kind of introduce, I guess um, my uh, I'm pretty much Minnesota through and through. My dad um, played pro ball in the Twins farm system when they were winning the World Series, and he got up to AAA. Um, so he was playing with guys, you know, like a young Chuck, Chuck Knobloch um, and went to spring training with uh, Herbeck and Gaetti and Puckett and stuff like that. So as a Minnesota guy myself, um, he, you know, I pretty much didn't have much of a choice. Like I was a huge Twins fan, huge Gophers fan um, and ended up committing to the Gophers out of high school. I played uh, football, hockey and baseball in high school at, at Lakeville um, and Lakeville North, our high school split. Um, and yeah, I just didn't really have any other choice in my, in my head, even you, if I would have gotten recruited by anywhere else. My dad played. Did you guys go to state or win state or anything? Uh, we won state my, my sophomore year. Yeah. So the last year I, uh, the last year that it was one school, uh, we had a really big senior class and I think everybody had the opportunity to play college baseball. A couple kids chose football or hockey, but everybody could have played college baseball. It was like 13 seniors, no juniors. And me as a sophomore hitting seven and being the closer. Um, so, yeah, we won. We and won. you caught? I did not catch very much. No, Mike Vanasic caught. He played. ended up playing football at Augustana. He was a beast. But um, I played I played the outfield. I, pit, I was a closer. And then I backfilled wherever the – You did catch for a bit, though, didn't you? Oh, I've yeah, that's I... uh, that's a whole nother story. I've got I've pretty much yeah, it's like a journeyman on the field. It's a journeyman in the career. Um, so my yeah, my sophomore year, I was getting recruited by Todd Oaks, who's since passed away at, at um, the University of Minnesota as a pitcher, just because I didn't hit very well and as pitched. And then I the next year I caught a little bit, but. Um, Another guy was could only catch, so I moved to third. I hadn't played the infield since I was younger, um, and just to keep both bats in the lineup, essentially. Uh, and then my senior year, I finally caught every time. So that, and that was kind of what I was gonna be was a catcher, um, still only hitting right-handed at that time. And then went to the U, and kind of the same thing happened. Myself, Kyle Knutson, and Nick O'Shea, all three bats that needed to stay in the heart of the order, and all were high school catchers. And you gotta move them a little bit. So Nick became a, an outstanding defensive first baseman, and I locked down right field. Um, and I was able, that was what was allowed me to get at bats right away in my college career, which obviously is important, anyways. But that's the year that I started teaching myself to switch hit. 
Um, so that was really big that I didn't have to redshirt. Um, I taught myself to switch hit over the summer in between high school and college and then in through fall ball. Um, I mentioned to our head coach my freshman fall that I was going to switch hit. Um, you know, I was like, I was a state player of the year and I was our number one recruit. So he wasn't overly thrilled because it was like, if it ain't broke kind of a thing, but, uh, very, I'm very stubborn and kind of prideful, I guess. So I thought that if I could be a switch hitting catcher with power from both sides of the plate, that, um, that that would be good, obviously. <laughs> Brian, Brian McCann. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was like the Matt Weeders time too, right around there. It was like a Matt, yeah. Matt time for sure. So, um, yeah, so that actually panned out really well. I got drafted out of high school by the Twins, but it was really late. It was like the 31st round. Um, never even talked about going at all. Just wanted to go uh, play for the Gophers. Uh, played there three years, won a Big Ten title, uh, regular season and uh, tournament my junior year, my draft year, and was uh, fortunate enough to be picked by the Houston Astros, 33rd overall um, in the first round. And then uh, they switched me to third base, which started my whole whole new set of issues for the pro ball career. But long story short, I, I spent a lot of time at third behind the plate again, back in right field, um, played with the Astros with uh, guys like on, my, on the same team as, as like Kike Hernandez um, and went to instructional league and stuff with Altuve and, and Springer. And all those guys, so really good group of guys, and got traded to the Twins, um, and immediately walked in with all that huge crop of young talent. Uh, started I roomed with Byron Buxton right away. Uh, played with Sano and Rosario for a couple of years. Kenny's Vargas, um, Kepler, Polanco, Taylor Rogers, Duffy. So that that's kind of cool now because they're they were considered um, two of the you know the deepest farm systems for young talent. And there's always kind of those rankings going on, but it seemed like both of those two teams actually, um, they, they kind of came to fruition and they both are starting to put it together on the field. Of course, the Twins, any Minnesota sports fans out there know that they never get it done in the postseason, but their, their season last year was pretty decent um, and people will still be hearkening back to 91 and 87 and wishing Puckett could, could be here still because that's about the only time we're going to get through the Yankees in the playoffs, I think. But... So, yeah, it's kind of a brief history. And after, after that, I, I got released um, in 15, 20. Okay, hold on. I, I can't let it go by. What? Were you ever on Sports Center for anything? Sports Center for anything? I don't know. Probably. A lot of stuff. Why? Didn't you run into someone? No, actually, I did not run into anyone. However, in double A, almost first game, Fire Buxton ran into me. So, mm. yeah, it's a big distinction. So, yeah, no, we had a really bad collision. You can YouTube it. Um, it was both of us going full steam. Uh, but I urge you to slow it down and see what happened. I, I caught the ball. I held on to it. No, but it was really bad. He had the uh, – it was about a month left in the season. That was his first game in double-A. So, like, seriously, welcome. Not not good. It was in, like, the seventh inning. Um, and we got – he was unconscious for like over six minutes with just his like foot twitching there. And we both got taken um, ambulance on the field. He had a concussion and missed the rest of the year. Said it was like he was in a car crash. Um, and 
I had, he had like hit the middle part of my body. Um, so like my obliques and everything were all like completely swollen. Like yeah, I, a t-shirt just wouldn't drape down straight. I, it would like bulge out for a week or so. And, um, you're obviously your obliques and your core is pretty big and hitting. So it took a long time to like actually try and get back to like forcibly hitting a baseball. Um, so that was pretty, that was pretty rough, but yes, that's my, that's another one. I'd like to think that's not my claim to fame because that's pretty brutal, but that did happen. Um, and it was my, no, fault. you just bought a bucks and that he was, and I was wondering if you were going to say that. Yeah, no, I, well, I honestly, I, I did. Cause when I met you, it was, I met you like a year or year after that happened. So yeah, yeah so it was anyway. probably, um, it was right after the saints, the year after I played indie ball in St. Paul, the inaugural season at CHS. Um, I started coaching at St. Thomas too. And I know you and I coached against each other in the Mayak. Um, and then that was the, that was after that year too. I was working at uh, players only um, yep. as well with Gene and with Gene and uh, Tom. So yeah, it's crazy. Crazy time. So that's kind of a summary of, uh, of the playing career at least. So I've got one year of college coaching under my belt this year of high school baseball coaching under my belt, but uh most of my time, just obviously with what I do for a living, is uh, is the club, um, and that's been taken off pretty well. And I've been liking that. Yeah. Hobby. So I sorry, I did, I did, I did cut you off. You were saying, talk, do talk about the end of the year career because it's it's worth it's worth talking about. These are good experiences, and that's yeah. where I cut you off. No, that's all right. Um, I got uh, I got released by the Twins. Um, kind of like the uh, they didn't quite know with a lot of conviction, what they wanted to do with me position wise, which again, kind of was a, a common theme for my career is the versatility definitely um, was an advantage, but also sometimes it kind of inhibited things because I couldn't just lock down a spot and stay there. I would lock down a spot in the batting order, but um, like right after I got drafted, even with the Astros, the, there was like a, an every other day cycle. I would play third Monday, Tuesday, I'd play right, Wednesday, I'd catch, Thursday, I'd DH, um, and then I'd start over again. So nice that I was in the lineup, obviously, um, all those days, but it, without knowing, and if for people that have been in pro ball, um, the brass come into town and you try and they kind of eye you up and see how you're doing. And I was drafted pretty high, obviously. So there was some expectations there. Um, and it just, it, I didn't handle it great to be able to, um, not really have a home and, and focus on that kind of stuff. So that I didn't handle that great. And once I got released by the twins, my wife was pregnant with uh, my son, Mac. Um, and I didn't really know what quite to do. I was, like I said, a little bit burnt out. Um, and the saints called and you make just as much money in the indie ball as you do in the minor leagues. I'm sure you guys pay attention with what's going on in the minor leagues and big leagues now with not letting um, anybody have that 560,000 or whatever it is league minimum is uh, minor leaguers paying 1100 bucks a month in rent and getting paid 2000 bucks a month. It doesn't, the math doesn't really add up. So I was able to stay at home. Uh, I live, I lived in a townhouse just uh, west of the cities at the time. You know, I could grill out uh, at my own patio before I'd head to the park indie ball and you're not getting called up. You're not getting sent down. Um, we were really, really good. I uh, got to play with a couple guys that I already known from college and pro ball. Um, and it was a really cool atmosphere for anybody that doesn't know it. CHS definitely knows what they're doing. They kill it. Um, and there were, that was the inaugural year of that stadium. So there wasn't a night where there weren't 7,000 people there. Um, and I played right 
and caught for a couple weeks. But again, that, and when that kind of happened, it wasn't as big a deal because I knew that it didn't really matter. Um, so there, because there wasn't the uncertainty of trying to move up, trying to, you know, earn a job or get some, get your job taken by somebody else. So, and that was in, uh, what was that? 2015. So that was that, that last year Mac was born and it kind of just seemed like a seamless transition to start into coaching, uh, which I always knew that I was going to do um, in training um, with the kind of the background of helping out in high school and stuff, but also teaching myself to switch hit. I very much am like a student of the game. So it's been a pretty seamless transition after that. You're natural righty. Natural righty. Or lefty. Righty. Yeah, I, I had video in my phone forever of you. I can mm. still remember it vividly. Do you still swing a lot, don't you? Not really. No. No, I, I do oh, really? patterns. No, I do movement pattern drills. I explain a lot, but I don't actually hit a lot. Um, so I'll do I'll do just enough to get, you know, somebody the concept of a drill. Um but again, I mean, people know how to actually swing. Most of what I do from what we train from like the motor learning side would be not actually hitting, right? You're going to be doing um, some kinetic chain work with, you know, a sledgehammer or sling modality or, or, a, or a med ball or something like that. Um, so I still move a lot like that, but actually hitting a moving baseball does not happen very often. No, the bat feels heavy. 33-30 is all I need now. It's like I pick up some of my old 34s and I'm like, holy crap, I got to start doing forearms. I got to get on the cast right low workout regimen. Just join a CrossFit gym. That's all you got to do. Join a CrossFit gym and eat a ton of food. That's true. Um, I'm not saying that's a good idea, but that's what I'm doing. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so go, go ahead. Talk about more your ideas on hitting and how you guys kind of run your program. And yeah, tell us all about it because I, I actually have no idea. Yeah. So, um, the, the concept of the program, right. It's a club, it's called club baseball in Minnesota. It's very different than everywhere else in the, this country, it seems, um, cause there's so many communities close by that play association ball, it's called or youth baseball. Um, so club baseball is an above and beyond kind of a concept that doesn't, uh, reach absolutely every young baseball player. Um, so what we do is, um, we offer summer programs for high school kids and then usually a lot of uh, fall baseball for anywhere from 10U all the way up to 18U. And kind of our bread and butter is the off-season training. Um, so within all of that, the common thread for our, our concept is actual like real player development, um, which means real evaluation. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, just like anywhere, people are happy to hear what they want to hear. So we really try hard to put actual evaluation metrics, um, again, when necessary, like a biomechanical basis of why somebody is, you know, whatever, maybe a double A player at 14 U or um, not getting recruited by the schools they want to get recruited by when they're 17. Um, so all that kind of it, it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways in the club, but definitely what we're here for is we're trying to infuse that uh, professional baseball or really high-end college program feeling down into youth baseball and high school baseball. Um, and there's a lot of aspects of that that I really, really like. Um, one of the things that comes the easiest to me is teaching hitting um, for sure. And I've, you know, I've got 
a pretty good grasp on what I, I think the concepts obviously are. And I, I don't have a certain shtick or, a, a, or like, a, you know, I only show Aaron Judge video or something. And I know Cassie and I have talked about Teacherman in the past, but um, I, I don't think I'm really like a disciple of any one person or style of hitting um, other than just the anatomy, right? Your biomechanics of, of how force and your body works. Um, so I think you can, I really enjoy looking at, you know, a guy like Mookie Betts with um, a lot of mobility, um, who gets a ton of hip shoulder separation, who's short, but has got huge amounts of forward momentum and transvert inversely, like a guy like, you know, Chris Bryant or somebody like that, who doesn't have as much, um, you know, mobility is definitely a lot steeper, definitely hits the ball in the air a little bit more, doesn't hit the true backspin as much. Um, and just being able to find the common truths of how their bodies work in there. Uh, and that kind of stuff really helps because every youth, you know, every young baseball player you're going to work with is going to fit somewhere in that mold. And you can help to discern between, you know, what's an actually something that needs to be coached away uh, uh, from a player or just something that's inherent to that person's anatomy, mobility, uh, or whatever. So that's helped a ton to know that it's not just, um, Hey, you're, you're, you're steep to the ball and you're using your shoulders to hit the baseball. And that's just because of bad coaching. It might be because of, you know, old school, you know, terminology, throw the hands to the ball and stuff like that. But it also might be because they just don't have the motor learning yet. Um, or they're not mobile enough to get into, uh, like a, a proper hip hinge or, or whatever. Like that's a, that's a really common one. Obviously so many young athletes are just quad dominant um, and they don't understand what the posterior chain even is. Um, so I definitely think teaching people how to hit is, is, you know, what, what I would say is like my bread and butter. Um, but I do really enjoy all the other aspects of it as well, especially in the, in the college recruiting process, bringing um, some perspective to that and, and kind of reminding kids about the fit of a school uh, and and telling people that because I've coached now I've played at D1, um, played in you know two regionals, uh, regional championship games at Cal State Fullerton and LSU, um, and I've coached at a D3 regional, and to tell people that kind of stuff too of like the three hole hitter at you know Whitewater or St Thomas um, can play in a lot of days of the week can play Division One right and being if you think you've got a call with a mid-major at D1, right? Uh, if you end up going D3, that doesn't mean because a D1 liked you at one point, you're just going to walk in and get the starting job. So bringing that kind of uh, perspective to the game, I think is very needed. There's a big like showcase mentality right now um, and exposure. And that's another big part of it that I take a lot of pride in. Um, obviously there's everything else I coached or I mean, I played, uh, at three levels of the field, catcher, infield, and outfield. So I was able to draw a lot of really good coaching out um, when I was in pro ball. So I learned a lot uh, from different big leaguers, you know, like the Craig Biggios and Torrey Hunters of the world that I got to work with. Um, so I really enjoy teaching the game as well. But I think probably the, the most common things that people would say resonate with them are maybe that, that college, um, the college recruiting process help and then teaching hitting. But like to do a little bit of everything, of course. I know you really like movement. Obviously, you've talked a lot about that. Um, but with the perspective of um, 
you know, the amount of work that you've had to put in as a hitter, but also behind the plate, um, this is a, could be a really fun conversation um, where John and I have brought up sequencing on the show a lot. Um, and, and this conversation looks a lot different. Um, at, we're, we're coming from the same angle and everybody always has a different perspective on it. So um, I'm not going to feed into more than like, I'm curious, how do you have the conversations with your catchers? How do you have the conversations with your hitters about what, what game is going on here, right? How are we pitching? How are we setting things up? Um, yeah. What, what are, what are some of the, the things that you like to, to bring up there? You talking about pitch sequence? Yeah. 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 So what I think um, one freeze? of the nice things about a lot of the new data that having a couple of rap soto um, things in your, in your facility can do is help identify people as a high spin rate or a low spin rate guy, um, what their breaking ball actually looks like um, understanding that, you know, a lot of young hitters and young pitchers and catchers for that matter, obviously don't understand what really gets people out. Um, and I think most people don't understand how to pitch individual to their, the ball that comes out of their hand. Right. And, and catchers, in my opinion, I know you guys both pitchers, uh, catchers, in my opinion, need to know that far more than pitchers do because they need to be able to see it on every arm in the staff. Um, and they need to be able to feel, um, the difference in that, right? Because uh, a fastball outer third is very, very different to a hitter that, you know, steps on the plate and has a ton of plate coverage versus a guy who's quick around the corner and, and is just dead pull. As also it's different for a righty, you know, with a really high spin rate that has a lot of rise and carry um, versus a righty that's, you know, a, a turnover um, sinker type of power slider guy. So, all that kind of stuff. It is really tough to do because, again, this is a this we're a private we're a private sector, right? So this isn't college baseball. The nice thing about college baseball is you got a three and a half hour practice every day for forever, so you can touch on a lot of stuff um, in as many hours as we're able to work. It's difficult to get on into the trenches that much with that kind of stuff. But obviously, you pick and choose um, times to be able to do it. But that's an under. Uh, I, I'm coming. No, I, I, I. This isn't necessarily for just North Star. Like, go into it. Like, how would you coach college hitters? Like, what do you? What, what's that conversation look like when you have the opportunity to have it? Gotcha. Um, so, from hitters, from a sequencing standpoint, um, I, it's tough because I was always of the type to just be ready to hack right away. Like, I would have. There's no reason in my mind that if you pick out a pitch that you'd want to hit. Uh, the first pitch of the at-bat, especially the first two pitches of the at-bat, that if you get that pitch, there's no reason you should take, right? So um, I'm a big believer in, and we've got a video up on our YouTube channel right now, about um, like what type of mistake are you willing to make in each count? So again, I don't know if it matters quite so much about what pitch is coming. Um, certainly, you're going to obviously think about what type of that pitch the pitcher has uh, is is he a guy that's effective up in the zone or is he going to be down in the zone is it is his ball have movement all that kind of stuff but you're always going to be hunting fastball anyways and the mechanical adjustments you've made to be able to uh, adjust to an off-speed pitch is what's going to help you there right so I, I think you hear of big leaguers um, sitting speeds rather than pitches um, I think that's pretty high level. I, I totally agree with it. Um, like Hunter Pence is a big one on that, I think. Um, but a lot of guys do a lot of different stuff. But from a college hitter, I, I would say the most common thing that people do is 
they don't know exactly what they're looking for. And um, my, my kind of analogy that I always use would be table tennis or ping pong, right? So if you, everybody knows any, you know, competitive guy or whatever has played ping pong with their buddies before knows that you don't wait until the ball hits your side of the table to get ready to return it. Um, and the reason is you anticipate that the ball is going to hit the table because you know you have to because there's not enough time not to do that. Um, and you also know once the ball hits that guy's paddle and starts traveling towards the edge of the table, you have a feeling, right, uh, uh, not a through your eyes actually make a decision and a calculation if that's going to hit or not because, again, that's too slow and it's really hard to do. You have a feeling of if that ball is going to get close to – the edge of your zone, if you will. Um, and you have to make a decision, right? If it feel, you feel like it's going to hit, then you got to play it. And if you feel like it's not, you got to let it go. Right. So I, th I think that that comes from knowing exactly where that table is. Right. So the, if the table was shifting back and forth all the time, it would be impossible to make a good decision and you would be caught making the wrong one more often. So I think what hitters do a lot of times is not have a very clear view of where that position is, where that spot is. If, if I were to ask, hey, you know, what pitch do you like, a young hitter, usually they can tell me what pitch they like, right? But so often in a game, they take that pitch before two strikes and they don't know why they took it or they were blown up, right? And they pop up or they ground out um, and they don't know why. Again, so because you have to actually know, you have to anticipate and know for sure that that pitch is coming in that spot, right? And it's an east and west thing, but it's also... A, a, a north and south thing a little bit right like it's got to be if it's 3-1 or 3-0 and you get the green light you have to know where your spot is and you have to know that if, if I am going to make a mistake I'm going to be early I'm not going to let myself be late in 3-1 or 3-0 um, and that that's the kind of stuff that people I don't think get there's all these different layers but in my eyes it gets a lot easier actually to hit when you can focus on that kind of stuff um, and say you know we've got a lefty uh, I'm a right-handed hitter on the left-handed pitcher with a guy's uh, a guy that's got a really low spin rate and he can, he can make me chase a ton. So I'm going to say, I'm going to make it be up. I'm going to make it be maybe in a little bit more and I'm going to try and stay through the middle of the field or whatever. Right. But knowing what you're trying to look for and then actually envisioning that spot out in front of the plate will help you pull the trigger. If it kind of goes into that, do not disturb zone right? Or that, that go zone. Um, and it should help you lay off, uh, when it gets outside of that. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question, Cass, but that's kind of the beginnings of, cause I, I just feel like you, you can erase so many bad endings to at bats by addressing that issue, right? There's so many times where hitters get themselves out, um, and they get back to the dugout and they just can't wait for another chance. Um, and it's not necessarily because pitchers obviously can't get people out, um, but the pitcher always, you, 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 it's easy to hit on the pitcher's terms, right? Cause he's holding the ball and he's throwing it to the catcher. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't automatically have the advantage. Like the pitcher can at times, right? I always talk about like, if it's O2, I can ask the, a group of kids, a group of hitters in the program, right? It's O2 who has the advantage and they all go pitcher, right? And I go, why? And everybody says, well, he can throw it anywhere, right? Or he can throw whatever he wants. Um, and that's true, but I go, it's 2-0 who has the advantage, right? And they say the hitter and then I say, why, you know, and then they, and then the answers are a little bit all over the place and they don't really know why. 
which I would argue maybe is true that the, the, the hitter might have the advantage 2-0, but only if he prepares himself to take advantage of that count, which is not an inherent thing, right? It's not like the guy throws slower or is more apt to throw your pitch 2-0, right? The zone is the zone. So with two strikes, the, the pitcher definitively does have an advantage because he can just throw it right and there is a zone so he could by chance at least throw it to the zone without a decision being made a hitter does not have that advantage the ball still will not hit itself hard just because it's 2-0 um so i think that's one of the main things that i focus on with young hitters is that kind of concept does that make sense yeah that's a funny statement john go jump in because i will have things to say and i bet you've th been thinking some things <laughs> Yeah, so um, I like what you said uh, at the beginning about like picking your pitch and stuff. And one of the things we talk about is breaking down sequences to the easiest, um, most simple idea of fast and slow um, and, and understanding. And I think that, um, you know, basic sequences like in high school, you're more than likely, you know, what would you say a percentage of first pitch fastball would be at the high school level? 80, 85. Yeah, I was going to say 80% too, right? So um, I hit um, in, in high school, I was taught a little bit differently. I had some uh, Leo Mazzoni um, influences and read a book when I was younger about sequencing and stuff like that. And and I was six foot four, four hole in high school and would take G-hacks on the on-deck circle and before I got in the box and would get first pitch curveballs and crush them. And like, it was just such a silly game to me to be like, why is this? why am I baiting this? And it works, you know, obviously did not work in college at all. Didn't not transition. Well, and I, and I didn't play at a high enough level in high school to be even become a hitter. They immediately were like, you're a better pitcher than hitter. So, you know, you being a catcher and seeing the sequences, um, you, you talking about how hitters need to know themselves and like what their pitch is. We talk about the same thing with pitchers, like knowing what their pitch is, but also being able to be aware of the scenarios and, and educating these kids. So within this like um, fast flow idea that we've kind of come up with, um, we break it down to three, maybe four pitches. I like four pitches with it because it just, most of the time they probably will throw a ball. I agree uh, by the but way. If you can, um, I think we just need to sit on that by the way. Cause I, I think it's just the four pitch sequence is the right way to think about it, but. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, the way I think about it is uh, the most basic of basic high school sequence or really anything earlier than that that should happen should be fast, fast, slow, slow um, as far as what the pitches go. Because if you throw a ball in the first pitch and then you come back for a strike on the second pitch, it's 1-1, one, one, you even the count or vice versa, right? Um, and obviously the percentages swing, you know, um, to, you know, higher or lower depending on what's going on. But we're, the percentage points we're talking about at the major league level for like 0-1 to, to like, I'm sorry, 0-1 to 1-0, are like, I think they're like 150 or 180 points, right? Um, they go up and down tremendously for that, but that's really not that much, right? And so uh, I played with um, five guys that threw 100 miles an hour, and I just saw them do different things. Um, and so they didn't really worry about spots. They played a different game of, of speeding them up and slowing them down, where they were just kind of – throwing fastballs middle and splits or sliders out of that middle tunnel and not really caring about hitting corners and, you know, the quote unquote challenging part. Right. So, you know, I think that there's so many different ways to play this game and the strategy of pitching is, is what my favorite part about it is. And I want, I'm interested in your view as a catcher 
um, how influential you are to your guys and your program on what like domination really is. Cause that's what we really try to teach everybody. We have like, you hear it all the time from these, these, um, pitchers that are, that are veterans, right. They talk about the guys that have the best plan and the best information. Well, we can go back nowadays on YouTube and watch Doc Holliday's entire no hitter and see how he went fast, slow, fast, slow, or out, in, out, in, or in, out, in, out. Um, and however you want to change what his options are for what he's doing. Yeah. I, I want to add one more thing just because then I think we can, we've kind of set our piece and just, so this is how, this is how I think I, it was just like mind blowing to me. First, John talking about fast, slow, fast, slow in live at bats. So I'm, I'm dropping some seeds here because I know you like it live at bats. We'll want to talk about that. But that's where it was like, all of a sudden the hitters were like, oh, this is so easy. This, this, this pitcher, you know, we had, it, it happened to be a pitcher that we didn't know very well. So we were just like, oh, he has the same sequences every single time. Right. And it might be that he doesn't always throw a, a curveball. He might throw a changeup in that same count, but he's just like the same sequence. So simultaneously, when we have broken that down, and, and again, this is this is kind of we're we're getting to the point, Quaz, where we're articulating this really well because of the podcast. And we haven't been able to like put this into practice uh, yet because of COVID. Um, so we, I'm just like, I'm super excited to sit on this idea because where I'm jacked up about it is the eight-year-olds, okay? And being able to say, as a pitcher, okay, we just have to teach you something that's not fast, fast, slow, slow, or fast, 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 right? What, what, you know, as long as you have a, if you have a slow, fast, slow in your pocket, if you just have one trick as an eight-year-old, you're going to dominate, right? And then you can be like nine years old, you have three tricks, you know, it's such a it's, it's a very easy way to gamify this. And and I think that um, the fast, slow idea makes it so much more. It, it makes it less scary. Right. I think that and this is this is my personal opinion. Okay, I have I have overthought myself into thinking that it's not simple. Right. And that people like when I went to college, John talks about this all the time. When I went to college, it made it like, oh, you don't know what you're doing as if I didn't just play this game for the past 15 years and do really well playing it. I didn't have somebody telling me how to play it, but I played the shit out of it because I was always engaged, right? So it's like, if I had to, if I had somebody who like actually just asked me questions as a player, I probably would have been able to articulate a pretty like high level of baseball IQ, but I just didn't have their words. Right. Mm -hmm. And so so what I'm yeah, what I'm thanks. fighting for, what I'm fighting for right now is I understand that this game is really hard. I'm not trying to say, oh, it's as simple as just learning simple sequences. I'm saying there's a need to introduce it somewhere. And everybody's just saying hunt fastballs. OK. And I'm saying if I would have hunted curveballs in amateur baseball, I would have hit 100 points higher. Because I sucked at hitting fastballs because I was in my head. But if I would have just been like, I'm going to wait for that slow, loopy curveball that this person has. Like when I faced McDevitt, he threw me a slider. I shouldn't have been looking for a fastball against him. Like, what am I doing? Right? I fouled. I was like, I was so jacked because I barreled up a foul ball into the parking lot. You know, He's also like, like the seven percent sliders. You should have known that going in. He's like, but this is this is the, this is the thing. Like you say that, like as a professional, and I'm saying 
that the fact that that isn't common sense in sixth grade is a tragedy because kids know this stuff, right? In our experience, we start saying fast, slow, fast, slow to eight-year-olds and they get it right now. So I'll sit back and say, the what, what my point is, is what if we teach four sequences? It doesn't matter what those sequences are. Pick your own four sequences. Introduce the game in four sequences. And once they master that, then you can go like, okay, now we have eight sequences. Six, I don't care what it is, but it gives you the opportunity to create uh, a, a whole program that knows how to identify <clears throat> patterns. And last thing I have to say this because it's always so crazy to me. This is human nature. We experience the world in patterns. The most real things that we can create are patterns. So when we can expose the patterns that are happening, it doesn't matter what we're looking for. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, and that's not a way that I have ever um, thought about it, right? And I think that... Me either. I think, well, I think it's mostly, and I'll, I'll push back on it too. Um, I think that it can be used as a tool to teach people what a sequence is. Um, but what I'm always trying to do is customize the game to your own strengths, right? So from a hitter standpoint, um, if you if you do have a lack of hip shoulder separation and you have a very steep swing, um, I'm telling you to look middle down because I know inherently in your swing, you have a lot more margin for error uh, if the fastball is low and you inherently hit breaking balls better because you have a ton of depth. So at, irrespective of the sequence, my thing would be, so if I, if I were to attempt to teach pitchers more often, um, I would teach people how to read real swings, right? Because the only sequence you need for this kid that I'm thinking of, and I even have a kid in my head who I work with, right? Who is an absolute monster, right? He's 14, hits tanks, right? And it's people are afraid of him because because he hits tanks and he hit, he fouls off average fastballs, belt high and above. Right. And he waits for somebody to try something else and he'll hit a breaking ball off the back corner of the plate, like Manny Ramirez. Right. So I think about that guy and I go, the only sequence you need is firm up, firm up, firm up. Right. And he'll fly out or strike out or whatever until he shows you that he can do that. So I, I understand the point and I, I get like, there's no okay so hold on hold on that kid let's stay on that kid so let's yeah. stay on that kid so that kid's in live at bats okay and and we're literally having this conversation out loud by the way this is what we do at our live at bats then you tell that kid do whatever you have he's gonna literally throw you that whatever that fastball up and away whatever it was right he's gonna do that to you all day long and then you're just gonna figure out how to do it jump up jump up in the air like take your what whatever you're gonna do figure out a way to do that so that so now he has to play a different game and so i know it's not always that simple but some things that um here, well, here from, let, the, the, just the, no, just a, a one idea and let me let me say this idea and then i'll shut up so so like a chris sale slider coming from right field okay the, uh you, you should line up your your body to right field like you should be lining up to release point like if you're normally set up like straight on the guy, like, I, okay, so you, you, you don't, you don't agree with that. And that's something that those are the kind of adjustments that John and I talk about that 
we see players outside of, um, you know, John, John, you can speak to this too. And Quaz, I'll, I'll shut up after this, but like willing to jump out of your shoes to win in at bat. So we would like people to do that. We would like adjustments to be made like that. Um, and yeah, tell me why that's stupid. No, it's not. So I, I think the, uh, and I did, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, right? I think teaching patterns, um, is really big. It's in this, in the same way that teaching pitch sequences, um, at the pro level can be big, but it still is a template. I think, um, that you can hopefully look at the kid or the person that's actually in the box next to you. Like if I'm catching, right. And I go, hey, this is a trusted template, right? We know that he's used this sequence a bunch of times and it's worked. And his fastball works off of whatever, high spin rate guy that has a true 12-6 breaking ball. Think about Craw, right? Craw throws 96, 97, and his fastball, it seems like, goes like up a hill, right? And his curveball gets to the tippy top and goes straight down, right? So you can pitch off of those to almost any type of hitter because that's just inherently tough to do when they tunnel over the middle of the zone he has barely any side to side movement but if you if you have a guy that doesn't have that right and fast slow fast fast slow slow all that kind of stuff is somewhat similar and the main lever that you should or could be pulling is the guy's weakness at the plate right i like the template i like the sequence um and that's all i'm good but then let that inform or let what else is going on inform what you're going to do, i.e. this kid's swing. He can't, no hip shoulder separation and diving forward, just change the speed one time and you're fine, right? Or or whatever it may be. So, I, you know, like like a lot of things, I'm sure it's not 100% true all the time on one side or 100% true all the time on the other side. But I think you're right that there are no, nobody is thinking in the game in a patterns type of a way. Um, and, and this can be true of everything, right? It could be true of a base dealer, right? It can be true of, of anybody trying to pick up signs, right? It's like the, the people that are cerebral and think about the little tiny details are usually the ones that um, internalize it without knowing, which I, it sounds like you were definitely that type, right? Like I knew what kinetic chain was when I was teaching myself to switch hit. I never in a million years that have used the phrase kinetic chain, right? And I knew what hip shoulder separation was or lack thereof teaching myself to hit left-handed because I knew I couldn't truly backspin the ball perfect for the entire length of the cage, right? I could hit the exit velo would be the same, right? But if I hit an absolute murder 2-1 fastball over the second baseman's head as a lefty, it would usually go down over his head, right? And righty, I never had a ball go down once in my life, right? Like I would backspin a three foot high line drive all the way to the fence, right? So like the, just the, I think the paying attention to the little details in that I th in every part of the game is where people really lack, right? I think people mostly oversimplify uh, the wrong parts. How hard do you throw or how hard, how hard do you hit the ball, right? or they overcomplicate the parts that maybe don't have to be. What is the perfect pitching mechanics? What is the perfect hitting mechanics? So I don't know where in, in there that, that sequencing lies, but I definitely think there's a lot of truth to what you guys are saying too. Um, I just have never approached it from that framework. And, and, and that even that in and of itself is a good testament to why you guys should be introducing it. Um, because I feel like I've thought about baseball in almost every single way 
and that's not one of them, right? So there's value in doing that, I think. Um, well, uh, the, way, the way I yeah, go, John. So the way I think about it is uh, combinations. Like uh, we talked about buying here, right? So it's into a probability thing. I'll go with the Bulls reference with the the uh, triangle offense, right? When when the ball gets moved to a triangle, there's 33 options for what the player can do. We're not limiting the options for what they're doing, right? What we're trying to do is inspire creativity for what they're doing. Because, of course, if you read this playing, if, it, if I see it's my favorite part about the game, it's the live at bat. And really, that's baseball, right? It's not defense, right? It's not defense in anywhere else in the world, right? For some reason, Augie Grito said defense win championships, or I think that's who said it in baseball. Um, if not, sorry, Augie, I, I don't hate you. But the point is, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The ball being put in play does not affect the game to the point that you're talking about. The strategy that goes on between the pitcher and the hitter is what the game is. That's the game, right? It's it's live at bats. It's wiffle ball. Because if you, you there, is, there are two ways to play baseball. You can either pitch or you can hit, right? Everything else is just a subcategory of those two options for what you're doing, right? And so if you can create an animal that, 10 years old, like we're trying, who understands how to evaluate swings where when you start off and you throw first pitch fastball inside because that's just what your plan is and you're going to try to go fast, slow, fast, slow on the best hitter you think you might ever face, then you understand that you go fast, change, fast, cutter. All of a sudden, this 10-year-old looks like a genius, right? Because he put in and poured in a fastball. The guy went right after it right? Let's say he goes, what happens at 10, right? You just said, yeah, you, you're probably on ambush. You're probably ready to hunt, right? So you throw a fastball in or third at least, what, what happens? You already said these early, right? You pull it foul, right? You have your 10-year-old pull it foul. He's going to be all kinds of jacked, ready to go. Yes. Can't blow it by me, right? Well, we throw change up in or third again. You're going to think it's fastball, especially when we spin it white. and We teach everybody to spin the ball white with forcing change, forcing fastball, forcing cutter. Then you're going to be super ahead and start not trusting yourself and what happens when that change up and you're probably going to swing in the nuts, right? What, uh, which 10-year-old do we are we working with that has the pinpoint accuracy to put two pitches in the zone in a row? No. <laughs> yeah, I'll send them to you. No, <laughs> no seriously. He's, 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 no. But, but even then, right, if you take that idea, it's not about being perfect right there. We're taking that same 10-year-old and putting him into giving him homework with MLB The Show and going, try these, see if they work, think like this. And now he's getting mental work on the exact same situational work that he needs to, that he can do as he grows older. He knows exactly to do, what to do. We put, in the, we put in all of the fun ideas that you hitters probably do too. Like when you get on the kilo machine, you go, I'm going to think about facing Randy Johnson. We're going to think about facing Big Poppy, and we know that he's a lefty with power and loves the ball down and in. It's got a huge swing. So how can we use that against him, right? So teaching the evaluation of the process and how pitchers read hitters is the most fun for these kids because they don't. Most people in America don't realize that we're playing a game. Mike, if you and I are playing a game and we're going live at bats right now, I'm talking to you during the bat, and you're not going to know what's going on. Because you don't, this is not a normal thing, right? I may throw a fastball and ask you a question just, just for the sake of trying to get you to be distracted and understand what's going on in the game. The rest of the world has all of these different mind games that are just not allowed in America. It's just not a thing, right? And so you have all of this policing going on by these umpires and these people that don't understand that it's an interaction between two humans and one is trying to compete and beat the other one. So the sooner that you have the best strategy that applies to your thing, 
obviously not every kid's going to be able to locate the changeup or their cutter, right? But you still have to try to do it. And then the more you do it, the easier it is. And if it doesn't are, work, who then are, you have who, who are we to tell them that they can't do it? I just I'm just I'm just sick of well, that narrative. I think also, it's like it's a, it's a different um, even just thinking about things process oriented and thinking about how you're thinking about something is the step that most young athletes never take, right? Um, so I think in the, in and of itself, I think that's really really big. And, and to say from like a two strike approach concept on the hitter side could be the exact same thing. What exactly. baseball has given us up until this point is broad stroke, general things that don't can't be applied. Right. Like, well, that, that's the data. That's the data. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I definitely I agree with that kind of stuff. And again, I'm not taking the opposite position as you guys no. um, at all. No. Um, I think that, I think that's really good. And, and the nice thing about going speeds is you throw off speed more often where you, I've seen so many people throw the fastball and only throw the off speed pitch when they have room to F it up in the count. Yeah. Right. So you're not exactly. really going to throw it that well. Um, so you throw it more often, you're going to get a lot more feel on it and an imperfection um, with location can be adjusted to a catcher sitting middle down, right? You sit yep. middle down and you work on really truly executing the speed change um, and having things tunnel right down the middle as, and then using the aggressiveness against them. Um, who cares if the, if the cutter bores out a little bit and stays arm side, um, if it's still effectively not what the guy was anticipating, uh, it can, it can miss a barrel, right. And instead of the perfect Mariano cutter that always rides and slides the exact same way every time, um, maybe when you're 11, that's one out of five. But if the way in which you pitch schematically like that you're talking about um, has proven effective, then maybe by the time you're 16, now that cutter does the same thing four out of five times. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I really like that kind of stuff. Um, I, like I said, I think the biggest reason as to why I'm trying to grapple with it on the fly here is just because I never heard it, but it's not because I don't like it at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the thing that there's not like a there's not like a, not a nice way to say this. The only way to understand this is to go and look at what's happening at 10 year olds on the ice because those kids can dangle and you go look at 10 year olds on the ice in Edina versus what they look like in Southern California. And I, and trust me, I know like it's, it's ironic that I say this because it, it, hockey's kind of popular in San Diego. It's weird. It's like this underground thing where like, I just walked by a person's house that had a, a, a dry, dry ice thing for, for hockey. I'm like, that, that's crazy. So anyway, point though, is like, that's why it's so much easier for us to say this because we have kids that are committed. We have a lot of kids that are like too committed, right? The, the stories that you hear about little league baseball and, and like crazy parents, those, that's what hockey is. It's just the same exact thing. So I think, I, I think the thing that, um, you know, I hope, I hope your community ends up watching this too, is that you guys have to realize that we talk about this all the time. Throwing, the volume of throwing is how you get good at throwing. So you just don't have a lot of young players in the Midwest in general trying to throw a lot because they feel like when the, the, when the fields are closed, now I can't throw. And, and this is I'll why, um, you know, think, funny um, enough, think... uh, one of the biggest things that I was like, I can't not do this anymore was I wasn't on driveline for the longest time. And I, I don't know if you know that, but, and, and our audience knows this, so I'm not going to get too much in the weeds in that, but I was in the, uh, I was in a parking lot listening to McDevitt talk about how he's understood the throw 
forever. And I'm like, I need to get the, I need to get plow care balls. I'm going to do it because frick, I, I heard him doing it. He was super jacked up. And so the first thing I noticed was not like, oh my God, my kids are 7,000 times better because I was so bad before. It was, oh, now my kids can do shit at home. It was the first time that I actually gave them almost no excuse for not doing things on their own. And I had some of the best buy-in I'd had up to that point. So like shout out to uh, Beat Kitzman is a Maple Grove Osseo kid. I think he might be a senior by now. He's getting close, but he had he complete transformation in like six to nine months because he just threw every day. I mean, yeah. you know, he had two he had two velo days a week and he worked his ass off and and it was the first time. So wow. anyway, that's that's the biggest yeah. thing with with the uh, I'll end with this is you just gotta make it an option and cool for your youngest players to throw all the time. And when it is hockey season, sweet. Finish your dry work with five, you know, your, your, whatever you got your hockey practice, five minutes of throwing afterwards. If you do it every day, it's going to take you so far, especially if you just rip it. I'm going to go throw, rip it for five minutes. Don't worry about having the perfect warm up. They're freaking eight. They don't need to warm up like that. They just played hockey. They're warm. So rant over. Yeah. No, I think, no, but I think that's one of the biggest things that we fight is guys that have under prepared like that and then get in the game they hit 50 pitches and the tank is on E, right? And then that further um, solidifies the thought in their head that their arm is just a battery, right? Like, oh, the, yep. the battery is all the way down and now I need to do nothing until it comes all the way back up full charge, which is obviously not right and really frustrating. And it's one of the things that we have to, to um, combat a lot and not to mention your, your arm, although it is your arm, it, because people think like my arm hurts or whatever. Uh, it's a, a part of an overall system that's made up of muscles. And when you use muscles a lot, they can get sore, right? So understanding what requires soft tissue work uh, and voodoo floss and stuff like that versus something that might be um, a ligament or whatever, right? That, that also is, is another thing that we've run into. Everybody likes to say, that's my UCL. Right. As opposed to no, that's a natural D cell pattern soreness or whatever it may be. Right. Um, and that's the nice Sammy Craws. You guys should have Craw on. Um, him and Ty are cut from the same cloth as far as that. They know exactly. I'm sure you guys are. It's preaching to the choir, but um, he's really, really good at the ability to whittle that down to 10 year old speak um, on the fly and, and explain to people what's going on. So, I mean, we do uh, we do bits and pieces of driveline stuff. Our, our, I would not, I would do a disservice to whatever our complete pitchers program is, uh, but it's been highly, highly successful for probably five years now. Um, and we pick and choose things that um, that we like. There was a period where we did pull downs. I don't believe we do pull downs anymore. Um, so I, I think that. Uh, uh, just understanding that you can be doing that from November all the way through March. Um, that's, that's valuable in and of itself to get kids to do that. Cause everybody knows you can't swing yourself into an injury, right? You can swing yourself into not knowing what the heck you're doing and having crappy swings. And now you're logging a bunch of poor neural pathways, right? Where you're building muscle memory the wrong way. Um, but from the, from the pitching side, people always think like, well, I better only throw one time a week. Otherwise my arm's going to hurt. Um, so that's something that I think is slowly starting to come around and we're definitely trying to, to work at as best we can. Oh, 
lost you there for a second. Sorry, Kat. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, uh, um, I'm glad that you uh, enjoy that. And, and, uh, you know, the, I think that what, you know, I think I just realized this a little bit ago, but we're trying to give creativity back to pitchers, you know, and make sure that people understand, um, you know, what exactly that they're trying to do in, you know, this world of baseball. And it is very difficult for coaches to be able to, um, you know, teach that idea, you know, and as you said, like most people just don't think about it. And I feel like you can use this in a bunch of different ways with pattern recognition, whether it's a scouting thing on either side of the ball. Um, like I said, when I was playing, I, I kind of knew a curveball was coming first or second pitch, or at least a breaking ball. And so being on that idea and be ready to go is, you know, it's risky, right? And people don't want to be wrong, but that's what's the best part about the game. You know what I mean? For sure. Uh-oh. Hope I didn't lose yeah, you Yeah, that was, that was the thing that I think I've said a couple times is, you have to, you have to be okay. Like with the idea that you're going to be wrong, like sell out for the idea that you could be right because the a reward for being right is so much greater than just like being, you know, not in. And I feel like this is like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you said, you know, alluded to this already earlier in the podcast. Like if you are looking for a certain pitch and you get it within your first two like uh, pitches, like you better smash that. Do you know what I mean? And and I think it's 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 very much in the same vein of that. So anyway, um, th- these are just some ideas. Um, I, I really appreciate the way that um, I, I think this. I, I think you equip your kids really, really well to to be thinking in the right direction. So, um, you know, I, I'm curious a little bit more. Uh, one thing I found myself wondering earlier was what's the difference between your conversations with your younger players versus your older players? Um, cause I, I feel like, well, I'll, I'll shut up cause I might know the answer, but I'll let you tell us. Um, you know, it goes case by case. You can kind of get a feel for a type of kid that you're working with. There's a big difference between some 12 year olds and other 12 year olds, you know? So and it's the same kind of thing of how we push, um, the sports performance side of things, right? There's like an emotional maturity, um, and a, and a general level of understanding, uh, that somebody needs to get to. I think probably the main variable, not necessarily the age, the main variable would be how honest they're willing to be with themselves, honestly, because that is uh, really, really something that we see a lot of. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to shy away from things that I don't like, right? Like I, oh, hack attacks on curveballs today. I don't hit curveballs very well. So I'm just going to stay in the flips cage for a little bit longer um, and not really uh, embrace the times where you look like an absolute idiot. Right. So I think the real actual coaching in the trenches uh, can happen most often with guys that are okay with failure. Right. And actually like the failure. Right. And we talk a, a little bit about this. We touched on this on one of our episodes recently too. the concept of the five o'clock hitter. Right. Of if I know what's coming and I know where it's going to be um, like in batting practice, I can put on a show. Right. But if I have to think, and be ready for two different speeds, I look like an idiot, right? So um, the game is more like the second one, or it is the second one. So don't feel okay with the amount of work you've put in because you do flips three, four times a week and you hammer the back of the cage every time, right? Or if somebody says, 
if I point out that someone's physical sequencing, a different term that we use all the time, um, physical sequencing is way off, right? And you're swinging top down instead of middle out, um, you're going to run into trouble, right? And a 13-year-old that uh, that believes me uh, is mature enough to look at their swing and say, wow, that my video does not look like Ken Griffey Jr.'s video or whatever it may be um, versus, well, I, I hit 380 last year, so I'm fine, right? So I think that the discourse and the dialogue is more dependent upon that. And obviously you can't just force that on people. It's going to be hopefully something that they learn um, and everybody's been there a little bit. Nobody likes to fail, obviously, but it's part of logging reps in that and putting more games and experiences in the rearview mirror and saying, you know, like if I, if I were to ask a kid, what's your most common out last think about last summer, right? What did you do the most that pissed you off when you ran back to the dugout? Right. Was it pop out to the second baseman or the first baseman like crazy, right? Was it ground out to the shortstop and third baseman on anything that's in the bottom half of the zone? Right. So actually like digging into that, that kind of information in my opinion is where real strides can be made because then they'll be more receptive to what we have to do to overcome that. Um, where so many guys, again, are a little bit, want to put the blinders up um, and hold on tight to those few times when they really did well and try and excuse away or dismiss uh, the times that they did not do very well. So I would, again, I would say that's not really an age thing. Um, and that's going to be, I've played, played with guys in pro ball, uh, played guys in college that were not willing to do um, just that, right? And that, and you just, it's not that kind of game. You're not going to be able to hide it for forever. Eventually, the pitching is going to get too good, and you will get exposed, and you'll have to deal with it. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the main the main thing. We definitely encourage that train of thought a lot. So hopefully we see it in younger and younger and younger players so then they develop and hit their higher potential a lot younger um, instead of having to learn the tough lesson, um, usually in college, because a lot of good athletes can get through high school baseball with hand-eye coordination, um, and then – all the big fish in the little pond get into the same, you know, really, really big pond in college baseball. Um, and now they redshirt or now they're hitting ninth or now the coach doesn't give me a fair shake or blah, 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 blah. So that's definitely something that we're trying to combat um, as early as possible. Do you do live at bats with your kids, your younger kids? All the time. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the last three weeks, two, three weeks of the both, both the hitters program and the pitchers program run concurrently for 16 to 20 weeks, depending on the year. Um, in the last two, three weeks overlap where all of the, the pitchers face the hitters. Um, we do live at bats pretty consistently in season to prep for a upcoming tournament. Um, the only time we don't do a ton is when fall, fall ball is really, really popular um, in Minnesota. Um, and there, there are, you know, and I, I, again, you guys might have different, differing opinions, but if we have, a high school kid who is also playing football, but wants to be able to get one more really good exposure tournament in September um, to get in front of college coaches. Uh, we may look at his overall innings total for the year and adjust how often he's ramping up full speed, um, but certainly not shying away from uh, that kind of stuff whenever the arm, whenever your arm is ready, right? So it, to, 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 to your point, we like live at bats a lot more than we like batting practice over there and bullpens over here. Right. So. That's awesome. Yeah. We, uh, 
as we grow over here in San Diego, we don't we haven't been um, in this area but a little over a year with me and Cass. We're, we're you know live at bats to me or, or everything. Love the past uh, summer, we we did a really good college program where we did Fridays for live at bats, and it went. We treated it like a football season where it was like Friday was game day. So your your other days, you're recovering after you're out, and then you're trying to prepare to get ready for that next you know, hundred percent day for what you're doing. So, you know, we, the timing of, of, uh, the strategy of the practice plan seems to be inefficient, um, to pitchers. It doesn't really just seem to be in their favor for the amount of time they get to work on their skill work, um, in comparison to hitting right. Or in comparison to what we know needs to happen with the amount of throws with skill development, you know? So, um, that's something that I think I applaud you on live at bats to me is just, it is youth live at bats well, I think are just, just so underrated. The, yeah. We just talked to the university of Minnesota, uh, staff without John, but, uh, Pat Casey and Ty, we had him on our, um, show as well. And one of the things that they've harped on is how much easier it is to be a hitting coach at the college level. Um, because the, just the sheer amount of times you can get put in a game type situation with a machine, um, or something like a machine. Um, and it's difficult to replicate a game as frequently for pitchers. Um, obviously, um, I, I love like the MLB, the show type of stuff. I've been seeing people do stuff like that. So even if you don't have to use your arm, um, you can still, mentally understand what's going on from one pitch to the next um, and therefore be a lot more ready to act on that kind of information when there is a hitter in the box. Um, so even if you, you know, a pitcher, you, you're fully a hundred percent that one day, there's always going to be the day before and then three days after where you're, you're, you can't do that exact thing again, where a hitter could just crank up the hack attack every single day if they want. So um, I think that they spoke to that quite a bit too. Um, about the level, uh, uh, the amount of time that you replay, uh, simulate the game. Um, and Pat was a big, big believer in that, that uh, hitting coach, the head assistant and recruiting coordinator at the U um, was a big believer in doing that quite often. And again, bringing, bringing those guys to failure and especially for a different reason, right? Early on in their careers, just so um, they can understand what, what it's going to be like to be with this group of guys for three, four years. Um, I'm not going to be given or walk into anything like you're big time, you know, power five baseball. There's not a lot of easy arms, even midweek nowadays, right? Like velocities have gone through the roof. Education has gone through the roof. Um, you can watch stuff that you guys do. You can pay attention on Twitter and you can, you know, almost develop yourself really uh, from any random place and get recruited. You could be a, you know, a mid-major guy that could have a huge transformation in two or three years, just because you maybe physically have always had the opportunity, but maybe not, a, not the information or the coaching. Now that's all out there. Um, so I, I just feel like the, the amount of really, really good pitchers in college baseball um, has gone through the roof. So I think that he, he uses that to inform his decision on how often he's going to put his guys in failure positions. Um, and I know Ty said he wishes he could do the same every day for the pitchers as opposed to, you know, one, two days a week. Perfect. That's yeah. I, I, hey, just, uh, just a side note, my, my audio is getting really brutal over here. So I know you guys sound and look great. Um, but I just have been, that's why I'm not jumping in or anything. So I'm just going to sit back, John. 
It's okay. I, I, we're probably, we're at about an hour and 10 minutes, so I, I want to eat up too much more of Mike's time. But uh, Mike, it's, it's been great conversation. I appreciate your your aspect and, and, and what you're doing up there with, with your business. And, um, you know, baseball needs more truth like this, you know, and, and I think that's what it's kind of inspired us to kind of go out there and help, you know, educate, uh, especially with, you know, the highest level that you've been to, you know, it, it's it's very hard to explain that to people. Like they just can't see it. You can't. It's almost like a an abstract idea. You can't even imagine the next level. Even if someone tells you what's going to happen, until you experience it, you just don't understand what's going on. Because you know, there, there's just a different level of intensity when you're in the thick at, at the highest level. So, applause. Applause to you. Could have, uh, yeah, people could have explained Jose Fernandez's fastball and curveball to me, but until I was terrified of both, I didn't understand what they really were. <laughs> that was a, that was an enjoyable 0 for 3 with 3Ks in A-ball, and he spent a good five days in A-ball before he was like, get this guy out of here. He doesn't need to strike out 25 guys a day. Like, send him to double A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eventually everybody's going to hit that um and i think that's a common thread for us is you know it just doesn't do us any good to blow up blow smoke up people's butts you know like you gotta you gotta be realistic and you gotta tell people that eventually there's gonna be a guy um like you guys are clearly training now that are gonna literally want to bleed before they give up with two strikes right and you're gonna have pitchers that are not afraid of you at all they do not care what you hit in high school um, and they will have a huge nutsack and will come right at you, right? So that's what we are trying to gear people towards, obviously, is to be able to, because that's that was every, that was all of baseball encompassed in those moments for me, right? So that, that was what I was addicted to, was that, that time in the box is that, all right? I, I am not another thing in the entire world matters. Um, and I wanted to absolutely tear the guy's face off with a comebacker, right? So I, I want to be able to instill that kind of stuff. And without the, you know, the ability to let yourself fail a little bit and not care, if you swing and miss and not worry about what people think, right? If you go 0 for 4 or 3Ks and think you want to quit baseball, which again, I've been there, but um, that's, you've got to be able to handle that adversity because the more you go up, the, the, the more... And even nowadays, like I said, the more information is out there, you're going to run into more dudes like that, right? And that's, I think, overall good for baseball. We hope that everybody is like that on both sides, on the mound and in the box. Um, hopefully that's just the new norm, right? And it's a, it's a cerebral but also a really, you know, physical type of, of uh, battle, which is why I love you guys doing uh, live at-bats all the time. It's great. Definitely. Yeah, we film it. We I got a, I'm pretty excited. I got a, uh, some, uh, different equipment that allows me to put the camera like, um, you know, up high. So it's, we're getting the best angle like you would on TV, which, you know, uh, I didn't think it was going to be, um, I had no idea the impact it would have on, on us when we're, you know, putting our live at bats on YouTube and stuff and how, you know, all the hitters were enjoying it. Pitchers, you know, we started seeing way more things like guys are pitching on the wrong side of the rubber according to what their, um, you know, pitch arsenal is and, and you know, being able to show them exactly what tunneling is to them, right? Like, because, like, people say tunneling all the time, but, you know, it, it's, in our opinion, it's proprietary to what your skill set and your arsenal is. So if you don't have the correct information on how to do that, then you you, you have no idea what you're doing. So. 
for sure. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, why don't you tell everybody uh, real quick, uh, you know, last where they can follow you, you know, if anybody's in the area where you're at and just sum that up real quick and then we'll sign off. Yeah, for sure. Um, so North Star Baseball Club, the facility is in Burnsville. It's just south of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. We do, like I said, the bread and butter is the training um, all year round, but a big part of it's in the winter. Uh, then we offer teams uh, in the spring, summer, and fall. Um, we just launched the YouTube channel, North Star Baseball Club. Uh, I've got like eight, eight videos on there. I do a lot of skill videos um, and will be doing a lot of skill videos, some chalk talk segments. Uh, we're going to be doing some coaches discussions as well. We've had the Gopher staff on. Um, so we should start to do a little bit more um, guests as well. But it's like, you know, everything that I feel like is missing uh, from the game, right? The coaching, highlighting good stuff that I've heard um, and, you know, whittling that down for people in, in the easy digestible video all the way down to kind of long form interviews like we're doing here. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, and yeah. Appreciate the input. Thanks for the invite, guys. I had a great time. There's like 753 other things that we could have touched on. So if you need a if you need a guest again that can talk for an hour and 15, not an not three hours and 15 like Cass, um, that would be. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, yeah, dude, definitely, and, and vice versa. If you if you need uh, if you guys need some guests or something, just hit us up. We we love to jump in and and. Yeah, you know, throw some sequencing ideas and stuff in there. Think about that. Let me know what you think. If you have some, I feel like it's uh, the, the people that we are helping with on this, it really has um, expanded their um, thought process on, on the strategy of what they're trying to do. Well, my thought too is this is an easy collab opportunity with um, Craw and KC, right? We've got uh, Kyle Clark, who pitched at Michigan. Um, had four different pitching coaches in the four years he was at Michigan. Mm. Right? Super different experience from the beginning to the end. His last year he played under Backage. Um, he's got, if you want to talk about what we've, what we've been talking about, like that kind of internal understanding of always analyzing the game, but maybe not having the words for it. He was definitely one of those guys too, right? He always understood the differences in guys and the, how people move. So a high mind guy back in the time when we played when it, that wasn't common, right? Or that wasn't the main um, centerpiece is to highlight that, right? It was kind of just more who's good, who's not. And there wasn't a lot of value as coaches, like all of the guys that are like our dad's age and stuff that that just wasn't a big part of baseball. And he's, he's been one. And again, Craw, I've mentioned a couple of times, um, a lot of really good thoughts on the pitching side. I think we should, either because all those two will be on on our show and have the two of you on or you guys could mutually have have both of them on and that'd be two pitching guys as well um and there you go there's your high spin rate and your low spin rate guy you've got like kc is like six six and like low three quarter never throws the same ball twice those like six different pitches palm ball and cross just like a bull fastball just power top half of the zone um, fastball with an insane curveball. Um, and I think he's, he'd probably be like, I do, I would change up too, but I would say why the hell even use it if he's got that curveball. So you should have those two guys on. That would be a good bit. And KC has got three times the amount of personality as any of us three as well. So he'll be, uh, he'll be a ride. That's hilarious. Dude, get That's this hilarious. guy off the show. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I appreciate oh, man, it, man. Mike. Yeah. 
You're the best, man. We really appreciate you have, having you on, man. It. You guys have go follow one, guys. Uh, North Star Baseball. Mike, you're the best, man. I appreciate it. We'll be in contact, definitely. Later, Claus. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for having me on.